ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. (laughs) Check this out on this podcast. What I'm going to talk to you about is game day. More specifically, college game day. Uh, As many of you know or may not know, uh, I played football back in the day. (laughs) I feel so old when I say back in the day. Uh, I played college football at uh, South Carolina State University. Uh, from 1991 to 1995. And um, I want to give you kind of a peek into what happened on game day. Uh, Now, everybody's experience is different. South Carolina State University is is a, you know, historically black college. Uh, So to be honest, things a little bit different there than they are at you know, Alabama or Clemson or Southern California. Um, But uh, I got the idea to do this podcast actually from my man, King Germ. Shout out to Germ. Um, One half of the almighty Frocast podcast. Make sure you check him and Queen Germ out. Um, Shout out to Germ. Uh, He put the bug in my ear that I should, you know, get on the podcast and talk about what game day was like uh, for me. And um, it was actually a great idea. And, you know, it's not often that Germ comes up with great ideas, but, <laughs> but this is a great one. Again, shout out to my man, King Germ. Um, so I want to take you back. Um, more than anything else, I, I guess what I want to kind of convey is that uh, for those of you who watch football, particularly college football, um or any sport for that matter, uh, you see the athlete on game day, but it's so much more that goes into it than that. And so obviously there's a week of preparation that leads up to that point. And, you know, then you have the actual game, but I want to kind of take you into the details and specifics of each, uh, scenario as far as game day is concerned so um strap up we're going we're going to take a, a trip back <laughs> um i guess i probably should start with uh the idea of playing college football at south carolina state university was one what you see on saturday again is the culmination of things that happened throughout the week but game day really doesn't start until actually the night before. So I mean, I'm going to give you a scenario of how things went for us game day for a home game, right? So the night before the game is very critical. Um, one of the most important things that we would do as a team was we would have a team meeting. Um, we'd have a team meeting at uh, Nance Hall. And um, we'd have one huge team meeting and then we break off into our position meetings and we go over the game plan and things that we practice and stuff like that. Um, And that was always interesting because, you know, 
you have to then apply a lot of stuff that, um, you know, you learn throughout the week. And I think sometimes people tend to think that when you play football, that it's just, you know, big guys just running into each other and knocking each other out. And it's, <laughs> it's not that simple. But there's a lot of information that you have to retain. And, and so much of what you see on the field is, you know, basically poetry emotion by these athletes who are making split second decisions uh, with their bodies and their minds all in, you know, in, in coordinates with each other, uh, you know, extremely fast. So one of the things that you had to do is prepare. And, you know, I don't think football players um, get a lot of credit for there has to be some level of intelligence to play the game. I don't care what level you play on because you have to ascertain a lot of information, process it, and again, you have to implement it very quickly. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. In fact, it's it's very difficult to do, to be honest. Um, so the night before, we would have a team meeting and we would you know, talk about the game plan and things of that nature. Now, <laughs> after the team meeting, we would go back to the dorm. And normally the night before the game, I think curfew was like 11 o'clock. So you had to be in your room. Couldn't be outside. You couldn't be hanging. Couldn't be chilling. Couldn't be doing anything. Um, realistically, the night before the game, you want to get a lot of rest. It's in your best interest to get off of your feet. <laughs> it's in your best interest to not have sex <laughs> although some of us did not follow those instructions uh, and I'm not going to dime anybody out um, but uh, but yeah it's you, you want to conserve your energy you want to get off your feet you want to you know kind of relax yourself um, honestly I didn't sleep much the night before a game uh, I didn't sleep like you would normally during the week and it was nerves. It was anticipation. I, and I've always been like that, even back in high school, even when I played Little League football. Um, and it didn't matter if I was playing against a team that I know we were going to smash. You <laughs> you still were nervous. Uh, and that's one thing that I think football players never really admit to. Uh, there's a level of nervousness and butterflies. And, and I always said it like this. If you didn't get butterflies, something was wrong. Like you should get butterflies because you're you're playing it now. And I'm someone who loved to play the game. So it was just that was natural for me. And it didn't matter if we were playing against someone, you know, that was going to be a tough opponent or if someone we knew that we were going to blow out. Uh, there were still butterflies there. And so I really didn't sleep that well the night before the game. Um, my teammates, on the other hand, <laughs> I had quite a few teammates who I mean, like these cats would literally they could stay up like all night. Like for me, uh, I'd probably go to sleep around one. And it wasn't because I, I didn't want to go to sleep. I just couldn't. Like I tossed and turned and things of that nature. Just like I said, the anticipation of playing. Um, but my teammates, some of my teammates, um, these cats would play spades until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, I couldn't do it, man. I I. I'd, I'd have to tap out like I just the idea of me sitting around playing cards all night just that just wasn't gonna happen but I always marveled at my teammates who were able to do that and still go out and play well on Saturdays I just couldn't because it's just 
my level of focus just wasn't there just to be playing cards and talking trash. But I love my teammates that did that. Um, so you wake up Saturday morning and our games normally were at one o'clock or one thirty. So idealistically, you want to eat your pregame meal about four hours before um, game time. Now, one of the things that I did not realize that was so important was it's very important what you eat before the game. And I mean, we had pregame meals in high school, but it wasn't the same. But like your pregame meal literally could be like grilled chicken, spaghetti, you know, stuff like that, like carbohydrates. They really wanted you to, you know, eat a lot of carbs because carbs give you energy. Um, I mean, the idea of eating spaghetti or lasagna (laughs) for a pregame meal, it was probably kind of foreign the first time that someone put that in front of me. And, And of course, now we had our pick of what we wanted to eat, but normally it would be, I would eat something like spaghetti or lasagna, or I remember eating chicken, um, like grilled, a lot of grilled chicken, um, before a game. And, um, but you know, those are things that, you know, will give you energy and you want to have as much energy obviously as possible when you're about to play a game. Um, you don't want to drink sodas obviously because sodas will carbon carbonated water, water will cause you to cramp. Um, so you want to stay away from the juices. You want to drink Gatorade and things of that nature. Something that has electrolytes in it. <laughs> you have to replenish your electrolytes. Um, but yeah, the pregame meal is very huge. Very, uh, very key. Something that you need to, um, you know, participate in. Uh, our coaches would be furious if you slept in and did not make it to the pregame meal. I mean, you only had an hour to eat and, you know, you had to be in and out of the cafeteria by from nine to 10, uh, because after that you had to, we had to follow the itinerary and we had an itinerary basically of what was going to happen, um, all the way, like every five, 10, 15 minutes up until kickoff. Um, and so the itinerary, most, most guys would go get, you know, um, their ankles taped or whatever like that. Personally, I never got my ankles taped. Uh, because I did it in high school one time and I had a bad game and, um, I vowed to never do it again. Uh, and that kind of goes to superstitions. Um, and that's something that a lot of people won't tell you, but athletes in general are extremely superstitious. Most of them, not all, but some, most of them. Um, so yeah, if you had, if I had, uh, if I listened to some type of music, And like, let's uh, perfect example. Like if I listen to Biggie and I had a good game and we won, I'd listen to Biggie the following week. Not that Biggie had anything to do with us winning or me having a good game, but that's just how it was. I was just that type of superstitious. So one time in high school, I had a, I had, I got my ankles taped and I had a bad game and I just, I never taped my ankles after that. Um, It's probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, but I just never got my ankles taped. Uh, I would always get my left wrist taped. Um, not both wrists, but just my left wrist. Um, again, I hurt my wrist in practice one time in high school and the next practice I got it taped and I had a great practice. And then I sub- subsequently had a great game after that. So every, 
game after that, I would always have my left wrist taped. And there was nothing wrong with my wrist after that, but I just, you know, it was just superstition, just bad. I don't want to say bad. It was just a habit. Um, so you follow the itinerary. Um, and as you move closer and closer to kickoff time, uh, you had to take the field, you know, with your pads and stuff on because uh, certain groups had to go out there and warm up. And so I played wide receivers. So the receivers would go out with the quarterbacks. We'd catch passes and run routes and things of that nature. Um, when you would go out on the field uh, with your specialty groups, which is what they called us, um, more often than not, the opponent was on the field as well. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you kind of sizing them up. They're kind of sizing you up, you know. Um, there may or may not be some trash talking going on. Um, personally, I never talk to an opponent. Uh, one, because it just didn't make a lot of sense to me because – I don't know. I just it just it just didn't make a lot of sense for me to be talking a whole bunch of trash because it, it my thing was I'm going to come and play and I'll let my play speak for itself. Um, second thing is I was pretty small, <laughs> so <laughs> there wasn't no need for me to be out there talking trash because everybody's going to pick on the small guy. Um, so nonetheless, um, yeah, but it, that was the only time like when you really interacted with other people. I, I, I can remember um, there's only, there, I, the only opponent I remember even talking to like on a consistent basis was um, one of my boys, uh, my boy Abdul. Uh, Abdul, he played at Howard and Howard was in our conference and one of our rivals. And so, um, you know, Abdul and I are from the same town. We actually went to elementary school together and uh, we played against each other in high school, but we were good friends. So anytime we played Howard, we made sure we found each other before the game and after the game. And we just, you know, we just talked, we just chopped it up, just good friends, just, you know, kicking it and, you know, uh, keeping up with each other. We didn't have, <laughs> we have cell phones. So, uh, but I, I wanted to see him do well and he wanted to see me do well. Uh, we both wanted to win, but it was never any trash talk or anything like that. Cause I, I is somebody I still consider to be real cool with to this day. And, um, but he was the only opponent that I would talk to, like literally just talk to before the game. But everybody else, anybody else we played against, I never talked to him. Um, but I did have teammates and, and there were other teams that, you know, would engage in a lot of trash talking and shit talking or whatever the case may be. Um, especially uh, the guys from Bethune-Cookman, um, Bethune-Cookman out of uh, Daytona Beach. Uh, they were notorious trash talkers. A lot of them were from the state of Florida. Um, a lot of the dudes, you know, were <laughs> real dusty looking. <laughs> we used to we used to call the dudes from Bethune uh, ashy leg boys because they <laughs> they all got off the bus and they looked dusty like they didn't wash and they were real ashy. Um, but uh, Bethune, the thing about Bethune was that like they were always going to play you tough. I don't care how much talent you had on your team. You knew that when you played Bethune-Cookman, you were going to be in for a dogfight, and that's what it was each each time we played them. Um, but, yeah, pregame, there would be some trash talk. But, again, I, I didn't – I ain't getting into all of that. Um, 
so then we would go back in the locker room and then you you know you get your instructions from a coach and you know we pray and then we take the field um here's an interesting tidbit that i would like to share when we would get back on the field you come out on the field band plays a fight song and the crowd's going wild right one of the things is well first and foremost when the fight song plays i mean you get the adrenaline pumping i mean like you're already hyped up but there's nothing better at least for me there was nothing better than to take the field and hear our band the marching 101 playing the fight song um you know it it was uh it was something that even as a youngster attending games at South Carolina State University uh, and then becoming uh, a a player on the football team and a member of the Bulldog family uh, that even to this day when I hear the fight song, it kind of gives me chills uh, because it just brings back those memories of taking the field. Um, (laughs) But one thing I wanted to share with you is that, and I know that it happened, right? But I don't ever remember hearing the national anthem played at our games. I know the band played the national anthem, and maybe they played the national anthem when we were inside. However, when you took the field, one of the first things that you heard was the black national anthem, lift every voice and sing. And that's the song that you stood for. (laughs) That's the song that you saluted for. That's the song that meant everything. And even to this day, when Lift Every Voice and Sing comes on, you gotta you got you gotta stop in your tracks and sing along. There are people that don't know the words to the song, but they know the the harmony of that song. Um and it was it, it is the black national anthem, and I say that in jest because Obviously, if you've been following pro sports, all of these issues that we've had these last few years and people being, quote unquote, told to salute the flag and the national anthem and the stand for the anthem. And, you know, I made it abundantly clear about what I felt about that. But um, nonetheless, um, I just found it interesting that being at HBCU, uh, again, I'm not saying that the national anthem was never played I don't ever it be I don't ever recall it being played with us being on the field. Um, I only remember it being played. I, I only remember the the black national anthem, lift every voice and sing being played, which honestly at an HBCU should be played before the national anthem if the national anthem is played at all. But you know that's my opinion. Um, <laughs> so. You get the fight song, and again, it's game day. It's hype. The fans are, are, are in the stands by this time. Um, the band is playing. Stands are jumping. And if you're not careful, and I've seen this happen before, if you're not careful with the anticipation and the energy and the excitement that is rumbling through the stadium like I literally wish that I could take that emotion and put it in a bottle and sell it (laughs) 
it'd be a bestseller. Trust me. But you have to try to maintain all of that because I've seen it happen. You literally could hyperventilate. (laughs) And I had a couple of teammates at different points, like be on the sidelines and be so amped up to the point where they actually were hyperventilating before the game even started. So imagine you're getting ready to play the big game, the game of the year, everything you're hyped up and you can't breathe. (laughs) And you literally need a brown paper bag to breathe in just so you can calm down. Um, Football is a game of emotions. So I think one of the things that I learned from football, of the many things that I learned from football is how to kind of control my emotions. Uh, You never get too high. You never get too low. And I always found it interesting that people say, oh, Kyle, you're so even keel. I think that's something I learned from football because things happen. So it's happened so fast and you, you just don't know what's next, but you know, something next is going to happen. Um, but yeah, you, you can't let your emotions get the best of you. You want to be excited. You want to be, you know, amped up, but you also want to play under control. Um, and I'll let you in on a little secret. For me, the hardest play was the first play. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but it's it was like that for me from the time that I started playing football. I started playing organized football at the age of eight, right? And the first play is the hardest play because, like, there's so much anticipation. You, you're going against this opponent. You don't know if this opponent is going to, you know – you don't know what they're going to do. You, it, it's, it's just the anticipation of it. And everything is kind of compartmentalized and bottled into that one emotion. And finally, once you get in, once you get that first play over, he hits you or you hit him. Then you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief and then you go on to the next play. But the first play, man, was always difficult for me. Not hard to execute, but it was just like, I mean, it was it's kind of hard to put into words, but it was a lot. Um, but I and that's something, like I said, that I never grew out of. Uh, so obviously you, you go on, you play the game and, you know, it's always a battle. Um, one of the things that uh, that. Is prevalent at every HBCU football game is halftime. When I say halftime, I mean the bands. <laughs> um, there will be a whole nother HBCU podcast where I'll talk about, you know, bands and homecoming and HBCUs and all this other stuff. Um, but halftime was always special. Now, for us playing football, you know, we really didn't get, <laughs> we heard the band, but we you know, it wasn't until, you know, you come out on the field that you might catch a glimpse of the band. And our band at the time that I was in school, uh, the Marching 101, was a world-renowned um, HBCU band. Um, at the time that I was there, it was under the direction of the late Ronald J. Sargent. Um, and so, you know, it, it was the band was incredible. So you heard the band. You didn't see the band. But the crowd, you could tell from the crowd noise that the, the band was killing it. 
Um, but what was always interesting to me was halftime speeches. Now, you, you always didn't get a halftime speech. Sometimes, you know, coaches come in and, hey, this is what we need to do. We need to do this. What's happening on this play? Hey, I need you to do this, that type, that type of thing. Um, particularly when I was in college, the game day speeches um, and even some of the halftime speeches were, you know, legendary and things that I will always live with. Um, one in particular always stood out to me. Um, our defensive line coach, Coach Wheeler, uh, God bless the dead. Um, I'll never forget it. We were playing against Florida A&M, FAMU, in this game was in Orlando. I was a redshirt junior at the time. And I think we had just scored like right before halftime, but the game was close, back and forth, us and FAMU. And um, Coach Wheeler rounds up everybody, and he's like, <laughs> and Coach Wheeler's old, fat, white guy, great guy, loved Coach Wheeler to death. Um, he came in, he said, listen, listen up, guys. <laughs> he's like, this ain't about football. It ain't about football. It don't matter about football. I'm not even talking about football right now. What I want to tell you about is this is what it's about. And so I'm listening. I'm like, what is he about to say? And so he's like, Marvin Marshall. That's our quarterback, star quarterback. Shout out to my man, Bean. He said, Marvin Marshall, this is about 10 years from now. You'll have a dime. And you'll take that dime and you'll put it in a phone. <laughs> he was talking about a pay phone. <laughs> and you'll call Anthony Cook. That was our star defensive end. He said, and you'll call Anthony Cook. And you'll just call Cook and say, hey, Cook, I was just thinking about you. I just want to make sure you're all right because you were on my mind. He said, you'll talk for a few minutes, then you'll hang up the phone. That's what it's all about. It's all about that relationship right there. These games will go on and you'll go on in life and all of this stuff will happen, but it's about the relationships and the bonds that you make with the men in this room. And that's all he said. And he walked out the room. And... It left me with my mouth open because I was expecting like some fire and brimstone type of speech. And he just came and spit the real. And what he let us know that particular day was like, look, you know. It's about football. And one thing he said was he was like. Football is important. He's like, but it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing in your life. It's not the it's not life or death. It's not anything. He said it's it's what you're doing right now. He's like, but it's bigger things. And and when he spoke to about, you know, the relationships and the bonds that we have, you know, that is something that uh really speaks to where I am in my life and where I've been in my life, you know, since I have uh you know, graduated from South Carolina State. Um, and that's where I am with, you know, my teammates. Uh, I love my teammates to death. And at some point, you know, I have a few teammates on and we'll talk and, you know, share some stories. But um, that's what it's about. And I, I mean, you can't really put into words what we went through. Only a few, only a select few knew what we went through in those times, in those days at South Carolina State, in the, in those battles that we had on the football field. And it's a select group. 
and so there's a special feeling and a special bond that we have and and um and I cherish that and I protect that and so I really haven't you know that's probably why I hadn't been anybody on the podcast because uh you know some things don't need to be said and some things are just understood and we understood those things and the friendships and the love and the bonds that were forged could never be broken um and again I I don't take those things lightly um so yeah that was one of my you know one of my favorite uh halftime speeches uh we went on to beat FAMU and win the black college national championship that year so um shout out to coach Wheeler for those great words and they still apply to this day um so after the game anytime you finish a game uh you know the media comes in and one of the things that I always found interesting is that um you know, unlike today, I don't know how things are from for, you know, schools and athletes and things of that nature. But there was like a 15 to 20 minute rule, like the press couldn't come in our locker room until, you know, 15 to 20 minutes after the game was over. And the reason why they do that, a reason why our particular our coaching staff did that um, was because there's so much emotion tied to a, a game. And you need to have some time to kind of cool down and decompress. And the last thing that you want to do is come off a football field and go in the locker room and have someone shove a camera and a microphone in your face. If you're savvy enough, you may be able to say the right thing. Some people won't. Um, Emotions are hot, so you need to have some time to kind of come down. So I, I love the fact that, yeah, the media couldn't talk to us until after 20 minutes. We we had to be in the locker room for at least 20 minutes before the media was let in. Uh, and, again, that was that was for us to kind of cool down and calm down. Um, <laughs> one of the things interesting, and I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, we had showers at the stadium and uh some of my teammates chose to use the showers some didn't (laughs) i'll be honest i didn't really take a lot of showers at the stadium don't don't laugh i but what i would do is it like if i didn't shower at the stadium i would go to the dorm and shower immediately uh because i didn't believe in walk around being funky um but um you know, and then we had, you know, a teammate or two that would take, you know, these drive-by showers. <laughs> I mean, like, literally be in the shower for, like, a minute, minute and a half, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I'm not calling no names. Um, and that was always funny. Um, but what was really interesting was the way that our – the area outside of our locker room was set up was that there was an area where you could come and stand and like normally after home games, that's where your parents would come. So your parents, family, friends, they would come and stand in like this little waiting area outside of the locker room. And yes, girlfriends would come too, right? Or maybe girls that you were seeing would come, right? Uh, Fortunately for, for me, <laughs> I don't think I ever had anybody show anybody that I was seeing or any girlfriends show up at the stadium. Um, but I do remember one time, and, and my dad will never let me forget it. 
my dad came down to a game and so he's waiting in the area and I came out of the locker room of my man, my man Mo and um <laughs> let's just say Mo had a couple of people waiting on him in the area and my dad peeped how Mo now Mo wasn't he wasn't married at the time he wasn't dating his wife because he met his wife at school too as well shout out to Tara um my dad peeped how Mo had like two or three girls waiting on him and he was able to talk to all three of them with no, with none of them getting, you know, near each other. And he kind of basically worked the area and got out of there without, you know, being compromised, if you will. And he told me that day that he thought Mo was a player and I wasn't a player. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Um, So that was always interesting. And, and um, and then, like, you would leave the area, and then when you, like, where our campus was set up, there would be a lot of, you know, obviously fans and stuff and alumni tailgating and stuff. And, you know, you'd walk through the tailgate area, and, you know, you'd probably get a money handshake. And what I mean by money handshake, you know how people give you dap, and they give you dap, and the next thing you know, it's a $100 bill in your hand. <laughs> Now, I say that in jest, but I'm being honest because at that particular time, you know, you could not, it was illegal to take money from alumni. Um, In fact, it still is. However, someone who you are listening to may or may not have taken money from alumni. I'm not snitching on myself. But I do think the statute of limitations have passed. So if I did take money, you know, it was for burgers and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so that was always cool walking through, you know, tailgate area. And I mean, the cool part about it was the alumni, they knew who you were. And so, you know, hey, hey, come on over here and get, get some hot dogs, get some, you know, <laughs> come get some chips, come get some fish. And so, you know, you go, you man, you walk through there and you have you stop at like two or three tailgates, you you basically eating for dinner. You could take food back to your room to kind of chill. Um, and that was the last thing too. like game day. The last decision that you make on game day is um, do I party or do I chill? Um, and that was always an interesting question. Uh, I remember um, particularly when I was younger like my freshman and sophomore years and I wasn't playing as much, um, if at all. Uh shit, I was going to party. <laughs> Ain't like I was tired. Uh but as I got older, like my junior and senior year, um I didn't I didn't party as much after games. I I think I was probably more tired. I know by the time my senior year rolled around, uh I had so much invested in football uh, mental, I think probably more mentally than it was physically. Um, so many emotions that it was draining. So by the time the game was over, like, I'm gonna be honest, like when the game was over my senior year, I just wanted to chill. I like, I didn't want to do nothing. You know, my teammates, man, we're going to this party. Okay. I'll holler at y'all later. I actually kind of wanted to get away from the game. And I was also, you know, kind of looking back at it now, I think I was probably preparing myself for 
life after football because there wasn't going to be an NFL. And, you know, at that particular time, I was, you know, really focused on graduating and, you know, moving on to the next chapter of my life. So and it was it wasn't easy to walk away from my first love, which is football. So um, but yeah, that at that particular time, you, you had to make the decision on game day. You know, do I party or do I chill? And um, if you chose to party, uh, you know, that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) But ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for checking out the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm your boy, 12 Kyle. I'll catch you guys next time. 5,000.